My name is Sarah Nazorek. This is my first episode of my podcast based on my son's story, our book, No Justice, No Peace, The Survival of a Mother and Son in a Broken System. Thank you for listening to my first episode. Alexander Landon Gross, also known as XO Alex. Today is August 25th, 2023. My second birthday without my precious baby boy. I didn't know what to do this morning, but to wake up and be consumed in my grief. Life has been so different since this poison took my only son. He was 16 years old, a music producer and an aspiring rapper and a beautiful artist. He had a heart of gold that would one day overshadow his kindness taken for weakness he was told he was gonna eat pizza instead he came home in a body bag his story is now part of keep the pain that i have gone through in the last year six months and 30 days has been the worst pain that no parent I wish upon no parent would ever experience. It's taken me so long to share his story. I was silenced in the beginning. And to those of you who know me, you know what I mean when I say silenced. My son could make a friend with anybody. And it scared me. It scared me so much that one day he would trust the wrong friend or the wrong girl. Everything I did was for him. If any of you have read my book by now, No Justice, No Peace, The Survival of a Mother and Son in a Broken System, which is available at Barnes and Nobles and Lulu.com and Amazon.com, 
I started writing it in 2019, just a few years before Alex passed away, because I wanted to shed light on the family court system and what I saw my son go through as a child and battling being in environments, being offered drugs as young as age seven. From age seven to age 10, and maybe earlier than that, after the divorce, he was subjected to environments with drugs, heroin, drug dealers, gang members, the stories that he would come home and tell me. After his weekend visit, it sounded like something you would see out of a movie and it just broke my heart. I did everything I could. I reached out to everyone I could. I bankrupted my savings, my 401k, and my family to try to save my son from a system that is in place that's supposed to protect our children from environments like this that's supposed to encourage them to stay away from environments like this to try to have a positive future. What I saw him go through for five years in the most detrimental time of his life, when you have a time to impact a child, I continuously would beg the judge to do what was right, to see how it was affecting my son's mental health and everything around him. November of 2014 would forever change Alex's life and he would become to battle PTSD later on as a teenager. He came home from a weekend visit and it was on the news that there was a white Ford Ranger truck at a shooting in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. I immediately thought about my son I worried about him. Every other weekend I worried that I was going to get the worst call that no parent would ever want to receive. I thought I was going to get a call that my son got killed, that something went bad, that a drug deal went bad around the environments that he was subjected to. I was terrified what my family and my friends and my colleagues saw me go through for years until 
I took the case in my own hands. And mothers, anybody that's fighting for their child, you know what I mean. When you will research and do everything and go above and beyond to try to save them. To try to make sure that they have a better life. Something better than what you had. Something better than what they're being subjected to. I learned how to get a court clinician appointed to my son's case in our court case. I learned how to have a tracker on my son's phone to show the court clinician the lies when my son was actually in those environments where a murder occurred. December 25th of 2014, Christmas Day. The court clinician finally had enough evidence to prove to the judge that this type of environment was going to lead into a path of destruction if we didn't get my son away from it. A few weeks after that, there was a court date set in January of 2015. I prayed so hard. I prayed and prayed like I did every day. And I taught my son how to trust in God, even if he can't see him, to hold on to the faith that everything would work out. Well, mommy, I love my daddy, and I don't want to see anything happen to him. Honey, you pray for your daddy. You pray for that disease. You pray that it goes away. Well, mommy, I don't feel like God is real. I don't feel like he listens to me. Until January of 2015, we had enough physical evidence, tangible evidence, expert evidence, to the point that the other parent failed to appear for court, failed to fight for his child, failed to answer to all these questions. That me, I, as a mother, had questions. Why? Why would you put your child or subject your child to environments of drug dealing and encouraging children to use illicit substances and try things. Oh, mommy, yeah, I was over with daddy and his friends this weekend. And yeah, this was about when he was nine years old in the fourth grade. I'll never forget this day, him coming home and saying, um, mommy, 
I was with my daddy and his friends and they were smoking this stuff and it's a foil and you put a pill on it and I'm looking at my son and he's nine years old and I'm like, what? What are you talking about, son? And he said, well, they offered me some and I told them no because I know that you told me that drugs are bad, mommy. And the other time that set in my mind and I put this in my book, we were watching a movie and he saw this boy injecting the girl in the movie. He was trying to drug her. And he said, Mommy, that's what my daddy and his girlfriend do to each other. And I looked at him and I said, What? And he said, Yeah, they give each other shots in their arms and then they pass out all day. And I said, Oh my goodness, son, and, and what do you do? And he said, well, you know, I'm hungry and there'll be days where I just don't get to eat when I'm at daddy's house on the weekend. I had to steal some donuts this weekend, mommy, and I know it was wrong. I know you tell me not to steal. I know God doesn't want me to steal. But we're at the Chevron on Sarah Road. And 528, and I was so hungry, Mommy, that I stole some powdered donuts. And the clerk caught me, and he got mad, and he said that stealing was wrong, but I told him that I was hungry. And I said, son, well, wasn't your daddy with you? And he said, yes, mommy, my daddy was with me, but he only had money for cigarettes. And you know what happens if daddy doesn't smoke cigarettes. His best friends walked up, they didn't know he had a gun. Went inside, and then the guy pulled out his gun and got back in his car and came out of came out and called 911 and everything because was dead and he was laying like this on the tires. Another song I found after my son passed away.
I told him to put his pain into his music. And this song broke my heart. Well, he didn't want to go to school the next day. I had never seen Alex be so mad about going to school. He said, Mom, you gotta get me out of this school. He said, everybody's just labeled me since my dad smoked fentanyl with me and I was in the hospital. He was in the hospital fighting for his life. December of 2021, just two months before he passed away. The second time he was laced with fentanyl. The first time fentanyl was introduced with him was in April of 2021. When he left the house with the girl that would eventually one day lace him and watch him die. He ended up with his father and I thought it was a joke. When the police called me and said, Miss Nazorik, your son is at Russ Medical Center right now. We had to administer two rounds of Narcan to save his life. I was so worried about him. I had told the school and everybody that I didn't want to involve his father because of what my son had went through and all the trauma. Being around gangs, a murder that happened. He had finally found his own identity in establishing who he was and not his father's son. People would label him and call him white trash and tell him he was going to grow up to be a drug addict just like his father. Until that day when his father smoked fentanyl with him, I don't know what parent would introduce that to their child. And he just wanted to see what happened to him because my son almost died. That's what happened to him. My son was scared to testify against him. He said, Mom, am I going to be okay? I don't want to get in trouble. Like, you don't know the people that my dad hangs around with. I said, son, you will be okay. You have God on your side. You have guardian angels to protect you. 
This was wrong what happened, and justice will be served, son. Two months before he passed away, he came out of his room. He was so upset, I'll never forget that night. It was Christmas evening, and he was on Snapchat, and he had saw a post floating around of his father so happy with another family for Christmas while he was out on a bench warrant for failing to appear to the case that he was arrested for when he gave my son fentanyl. He said, Mom, I've been praying for my dad since I was five years old. Not even him almost losing me and me almost dying and me being in the ICU in April and then again in December when one of his drug dealers had dealt a pill to my son's friend. Every other day when you questioned me over a year ago about it, it was you ain't never brought it up to me i've been in multiple of your lives toxic he's never once mentioned shit about this i don't know why you bring it up all of a sudden like you had mad time like you want like smoke you want to do whatever i'm literally always lacking to get all over the west side that was a recording that i would later hear and understand why my son came home so scared that morning four days before he passed away he was set up at the applebee's on cores and i-40 in albuquerque new mexico that's part of a recording that i'm able to share right now among so much that i've seen and just, it just breaks my heart. Because he never snitched about who gave him the Xanax that put him in the hospital in January of 2020 when he ended the relationship with the girl that would later lace him and watch him die. What's interesting is he almost died that day. His high school called me. He was foaming at the mouth. They transported him to the hospital. He didn't wake up for two days. Poison control ran tests. Everybody ran tests on my son and nothing would come up in his system. Nothing would come up in his system. Three years later, with all the information I have now, I wonder if that Xanax that they gave him that day was laced with fentanyl. Because there was no test for fentanyl yet. All Alex knew. 
and what I will share because I know the whole story. And I saw him go through so much pain when he woke up. He went through a breakup. He had fell in love with this girl. It was his first girlfriend. And it was very toxic. I had came from a past of toxic relationships and I never wanted my son to go through that or experience it. So I got him the help that he needed. I took a month off work. I took a personal leave of absence. Nobody knew what happened to my son. But he was in the hospital. He was fighting for his life. They called him Lil Alex. Everybody said that he reminded them of Little Peep. Which after that hospital visit would later be one of his favorite rappers that inspired him to rap too. I almost lost him. So that's why my son was confused that night at Applebee's when they set him up. You know, why now? Why two years later? Why are you guys talking about this now? It's just weird how everything happened. And he wanted to tell me something so bad that morning. He was so scared. He was cold. I couldn't get a hold of him the night before. He had taken off with that girl that he knew I didn't approve of. I would later see video footage and hear these recordings after he died. He must have been so scared. And he was too scared because he knew that if he told me everything, I would go to the cops. And he always told me, he said, Mom, it makes things worse when we go to the cops. As a child, I reported so much. He reached out for so much help. As a teenager, after we got robbed and my car was stolen, he was terrified. He told the detective's information that I wouldn't later know until about a year and a half after he passed away. He was protecting me. He was protecting his family. The week before we got robbed, he told me that there was somebody that wanted him dead. He said that he had got mixed up with the wrong crowd, that all the kids at the school would call him white trash and pick on him and he's like, Mom, I'm part Spanish. You're Spanish, too. I don't understand. All my friends, I love all of my friends, you know, whether they're white, black, brown, no matter what color, he would even say orange. Because, you know, Alex, he always loved to joke around and make a joke out of every serious situation. He was so much like my dad. So... 
He had no idea what they were talking about that night because he was unconscious. He never knew who snitched to the school about who gave him the Xanax. Only the school police officer would know that from the information they retrieved from his phone after he was given something that morning at school that almost instantly killed him. He was in the hospital. I'm so glad he survived. I did everything I could to make sure this girl would never go around him again. Until four days before he passed away, I found out he was talking to her again. I still can't eat Dion's pizza because two nights before he passed away, that was the last time that we went out to eat dinner together. We love to go out to eat together and make plans. He was just so special. We were eating our pizza. And he said, Mom, can I go spend the night? And I'll use the name I used in the book at Thorne's house tomorrow night. And I looked at him and I said, Son, no. No way. She's part of the reason you almost died two years ago. And he said, oh, mom, like her and her mom have changed and they don't do drugs anymore and they're better people. And he always wanted to see the good in everybody, no matter what. He reminded me so much of myself. I would later forever feel guilty. Then I didn't stop him from getting out of the car when I dropped him off at Cottonwood Mall that day. He was supposed to meet his best friend. This friend that he had told me about that was his best friend that I met briefly two times before. And for some reason, last minute, he wanted to go to Thorne's house again. And I was on my way to an event at Isleta Casino. And I used to listen to people and they said, Sarah, you never get out. Just, you know, you already had this plan. Just, so here I go. You know, why did I listen to people that day? Why didn't I just hold him back? Why didn't I just pull him back in the car? Why didn't I pin him down? He said, oh, mom, I guess um, my friend's not going to meet me at the mall anymore. And you could Uber me there. Her and her mom are going to get pizza. I'll be okay, mom. You can even pick me up from her house. I said, Alex, well, I need to talk to her mom. I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't want you to go. And he's like, Mom, my gosh, you always think something bad's going to happen to me. And 
they changed. I told you, they changed. I'll be okay. Like, if you Uber me there and pick me up, I'll be okay, Mom. I will forever hold on to the guilt, which I know Alex wants me to release. He wants me to let go of the guilt. But I just go back to that day. And if I knew what they were going to do that night, and that it wasn't genuine of them trying to get him over there to eat pizza, because he came home in a body bag. And I was blown away when the autopsy report came back. And it said that he had fentanyl in his system. Because they knew. His best friend knew. And his best friend said that the mom and her even knew. This is factual evidence. That my son had myocarditis. Which he developed in December. Just two months before in the ICU. They knowingly knew Everybody knew that if my son had even a little bit of fentanyl laced in his weed or wax or anything, it would kill him instantly the next time. It's been a year and almost seven months now since he passed away. And instead of condolences, I got the girl's eyes on social media trying to bully me a few months after my son passed away when I started finding out the truth about what really happened that night. I've yet to get a condolence from her or her mother. They didn't use Narcan. They didn't answer his phone or text messages when I was calling him and texting him and wondering why he wasn't answering because he was supposed to come home that night. Instead, they waited hours to call 911 until he was blue and stiff. And experts say it should have been taped off as a homicide. But for some reason, it wasn't. I always worried, because he was his dad's son. And he was one of the witnesses. When they needed to take that drug dealer off the streets that day when he was 10 years old. He'll never forget that image. He never did. He started struggling with PTSD. And then, you know, after seeing his dad for the first time and smoking fentanyl with him, and he still wasn't cool enough for his father. I told him, son, you don't got to do drugs to be cool, to have friends, or to be accepted by your own father. You're better than that, son. You have a bright future ahead of you. He was so happy. He even told me that day when he got the job at Popeye's and he just wanted to go and hang out with this girl and have pizza and 
you know, he said, Mom, I'm not even going to get back together with her. I don't know that I want that, but she's just inviting me to go hang out. And it's like, you know, what were they going to do to him? They're all going to have this party. And then they're all watching me from the day he died. And nobody will still talk. Thank you for listening to my first episode of this podcast. It was very special to me. If you or anyone you know has lost someone to fentanyl poisoning and would like to be featured on this series, please get in contact with me on the information on the episode. Thank you and God bless you all for being here.